0: CliffCentral.com.
1: I'm going to let everybody else just join us over a period of time. I'm Gareth Cliff, and this is an ABSA and Cliff Central uh, webinar, which I'm very proud to be the host of today. It's obviously Women's Month, so we're all thinking about those issues, which I think too often in South Africa get lip service. On my ENCA show last night, so what now? We dedicated the show to women's issues as well. I think something which. Uh, many people are doing, but the difference I hope to make today is that we're speaking to some people who have incredible insights, first-hand information, and some very useful research, uh, as well as some strong activism around issues which perhaps don't get as much attention as the, the fluffy stuff that seems to get so much of it during the course of Women's Month. So I'd be very pleased to introduce you in a moment to our guests. In fact, I'll go into a brief introduction, and then I'd like to play you a clip which we recorded just yesterday with, uh, with someone who's well-known to me and and to the ABSA family, but also to anyone who's listened to any of our series on cliffcentral.com that we did last year with uh, her business, Simong. Her name is Busi Mkumbuzipuye. She is a an entrepreneur, and she's actually very good friends with Tsehofatso Pule, obviously the woman who was murdered brutally in June of this year. Now, Busi was a school friend of hers. She knew her extremely well. She's on... Uh, a number of of WhatsApp groups with all the other girls who were at school with Tsikofatso as well. And that horrific murder was probably the one that got most people in this country absolutely incensed and for the right reasons. So today I'd like to cross to Busi in a moment or two. I'll tell you a little bit about her. But before doing so, you can see there are two other uh, very, very important, imminent, prominent uh, people who I'd like to get to as soon as possible. And they are Dr. Rose Phillips, who is a futurist, has completed her future studies at Stellenbosch University and currently is the head of people and culture at ABSA Group. So, Rose, very nice to see you and thank you for making some time for us today.
2: Hello, Gareth. Hello, everyone on the line. Thank you for having me join you on this very, very important session.
1: Indeed. And I'm, I'm extremely excited to hear your, your paper that you wrote not so long ago. And this is fascinating. What kind of ancestors are we? So looking forward into the future... How will our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren look back on us as ancestors and say we handled all of the things that are challenging us in our, our current uh, context? So we'll get to that in a moment or two. Fascinating discussion, I'm sure, will ensue. And Ketumetse Fatimata Mutlao, Let me just try that again. Mutlaoze, <laughs> Right. That's <I> fair. Ketumetse, <laughs> right very nice to see you. Ketumetse is the founder of the Black Women's Caucus who led the and Shutdown March to the JSE, which happened in September last year. She was named WITS Changemaker in 2019, and she's currently completing her postgraduate studies at WITS in macro practice with a focus on how to bring about large-scale change in a society. So we'll get to our discussions with you two in a moment. What I'd like to start off by just introducing everybody to is the conversation that I had with Busi just yesterday. Now, Busi is, as I said, an activist and entrepreneur. Her friend, Tsekhofa was murdered in June of this year. She was ranked, this is Busi, in Forbes Africa's 30 Under 30 honorees. She's also made the 2019 list of the 100 most influential young Africans. She's the co-founder and CEO of the social enterprise called Simong, which I mentioned a moment ago, too. And I'm very pleased that we got to talk to Busi about her friend Tsikofatso just yesterday. Take a look at this. The mu- murder of a young South African woman made international headlines. The 28-year-old, who was eight months pregnant at the time of her death, was stabbed and found hanging from a tree in Rodaput. Now, the family of Tsikofatso Pule have to wait a little longer for justice. Her murder case was postponed for further investigation. It is alleged that her murderer was offered 70,000 rand in payment for the murder. At the time of her death, the president highlighted the seriousness of gender-based violence by reading the names of those who were killed in South Africa in the month of June alone. They were not just statistics. They have names and they had families and friends. Now, I think many of us noted this with disgust at a time when the country is facing the gravest of threats from this pandemic, but violent men are taking advantage of restrictions on movement to attack women and children. Now, we have obviously been at the uh, the edge of talking about this for many years, and it's something which I feel very strongly about. I know it's something that many of our audience feel very strongly about, but the manner in which these defenseless women are killed seems unconscionable to us it's a level of barbarism, a lack of humanity at the hands of men and Busi Mkumbuzi Puwe, who is a close friend of Cerro Pule's, they both matriculated at Ram girls' high class in the, um, in the year of 2012 I think it was Is that right mm-hmm. uh, busi yeah. Busi has a passion for her for empowering young people. She was ranked among Forbes Africa's 30 under 30 honorees. She's also made the 2019 list of 100 of the most influential young Africans. She's the co-founder and CE of a social enterprise that we've done work with called Simong. And uh, Busi, I'd just like to first of all say again, I think I told you at the time, but I'm really sorry that this had to happen to your friend. I'm sorry that it happens full stop. You wrote a very impassioned letter at the time channeling some of your own emotional and and, and angry response to this. Um, Now, a couple of of weeks later, how are you feeling?
0: Well, it's still pretty um, shocking to think about Uh, and still emotional. And I can only imagine if it's this emotional for someone who was a classmate of Tzichuz and who matriculated with her. I can only imagine how much more painful it is for her best friend, for her family members, um, for her aunts and her cousins and sisters. So it's still emotional. Um, it's still heartbreaking. And um, I really hope we find justice for this issue because it is something that was widely supported as well. I remember at her vigil, there were thousands of both women and men in the middle of COVID-19 lockdown, all wearing their masks, all observing social distancing and all just there because this issue has to stop. And um, we just don't want to see this happening to anyone else.
1: You know, it seems to me that we often relegate these things to statistics. We go, oh, well, we've got one of the worst um, rape and abuse statistics in the world. And South Africa's got a unique problem here. But we externalize it. And when it happens to someone you actually know, like it did in the case of of Tsejo, it suddenly brings it home in vivid and undeniable clarity. And, And the fact that this was so brutal compounds that
0: yeah yeah absolutely i in fact um you know brought in the numbers to focus the issue on my own letter where i spoke about the 2930 women who'd been murdered in south africa between 2017 and 2018. by the way that's women we know about that's women whose deaths um recorded officially by police it's not even accounting for women who might have died from post-traumatic stress from being in abusive relationships women who might have died from depression so it's just things that we know about at this stage and looking at that number it, it was just such a hard reality to think about because that's every single girl that sikhul would have interacted with at Rand girls since her time in grade eight till matric And if that doesn't make the numbers real for someone who either went to a girl's school or anyone who went to school in general, anyone who went to varsity, anyone who's lived in the community and um, engaged that amount of people, we're saying that amount of people would have died in one year from gender-based violence in our country. And it's got to stop.
1: In your letter, you wrote, it is not right that women have to think twice before moving freely in our country. Mm-hmm. Over the years, we've had people say that women need to be more careful. Seho yep. was heavily pregnant at the time of her murder and you asked, how much more careful can women be? Mm-hmm. I think that's so galling because this woman was not looking for danger. She wasn't out at, you know, in the dead of night trying to um, to, to buy some illicit thing. It seems to me that... These people who, who say, oh, women must be careful, are, are completely insensitive to the fact that this happened. First of all, it appears the person who committed the murder may well have been someone she knew very well. Mm-hmm. Second of all, that it was committed at a time where she was eight months pregnant. She was already being careful just to look after the life of this young child that was yeah. ended too soon. It, it's it's so insensitive to say yeah. Women must be more careful in a situation like this one with Tejo.
0: I think it's also because we want to absolve ourselves. We consider ourselves civil. We consider ourselves um, to be people that are not violent. And so we associate um, gender-based violence with acts that can only be done by barbaric people on the outskirts of society. And so... Even just that notion that this only happens in specific parts of society is very dangerous and damaging. Um, But just to respond specifically to the question of why do we see violence even when women are not engaging in any kind of activity that could potentially put them in danger, covertly, because the violence itself is not coming from, um, you know, these mentally ill, Um, People who are on the outskirts who are violent inherently. It's it's actually just something that is happening that we're seeing that is tangible. But if you look at it, it's a deeper issue that is premised on social issues, that's premised on political issues and cultural issues. The violence itself is really just the outcome of those issues bubbling under society for thousands and thousands of years and not really being addressed. So a man, you know, eventually killing his partner um, in intimate partner violence is really just years and years of social conditioning that ultimately led to that sort of behavior. And so when we shun it and say, no, it's on the outskirts, we're dismissing a very serious conversation that needs to happen about how men are raised. What boys are told about identity, what they are told about women, what they are told about the treatment of the, the opposite gender and even of the LGBT community, uh, men's sense of ownership and position over women, their entitlement issues, men's anger issues, and how um, some of their, some, some parts of their humanity are only gained when they act out and lash out in violence against women stripping them of their humanity Mm. So there's a very big conversation that needs to happen about the social and political and cultural issues that we dismiss when we say violence only happens when women sort of invited by, you know, doing dangerous activities. And And, And how
1: frightening and how unacceptable that so many women in this country go to sleep at night knowing full well that if there is violence enacted upon them, it may very well be by by the person closest to them.
0: Yes. It could be your father. It could be your uncle, your brother, your own husband that you've known for 20 years. The point is that the social conditioning that men have undergone from the time they're born and they're boys and they're told certain things about women and they're told certain things about themselves, this is how...
1: Human yeah. relations so be. men
0: look at how other men are navigating life, and most men are not even raised in a home where there's a father. Almost half yeah. of the households in our country are a single women are, are households where there's a single mom raising her children, so you have a society where you've just got this broken um broken families. Where there are no father figures, there are no male figures that are showing what it is to be a man who has a healthy sense of masculinity. So boys look at their friends, they look at social media and they look at TV and radio for inspiration as to how, what does it mean to be a man? And that's problematic and needs to change. You know, so men really need to be having the conversations more than women at this stage.
1: And Bootsy... You've been in contact with Sechos' family. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've obviously stayed close to the story. Um, are, are we are we hoping for a specific kind of outcome here? Are there people who are still trying to cope? Uh, friends of yours and 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 Sechos, uh, you know, people who you know very well. Uh, how are they coping? What's going on? How, how are people feeling at the moment? Considering some time has passed. Yeah,
0: I think there's just a just a devastation. There was a WhatsApp group that's um, That was created by the girls who went to school with her and girls who were her friends and it was about close to 200 girls on that group just engaging from all walks of life um it was not a good feeling to know that one of our biggest interactions and engagements post matriculation is to talk about how brutally our friend was killed Um, the anger was palpable and the feeling just that people have a sense that they they know you know what happened and people just have the sense that they want to see the justice system honoring that and investigating the matter to its full extent and making sure that they get to the crux of who the killer is and not only that but what the motives were because there's just a, a feeling that there were deep motives and that there was intimate partner violence involved and so I hope that justice is, 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 is delivered because um, the family and friends were all just really devastated. The girls from Ran Girls who are in grade eight right now, girls who are in matric in this year, are all talking about it and how she was a rosebud, even for them. And so I think if justice is not delivered, it's, it's going to be a grave issue for everyone. So I really hope it's taken seriously.
1: Yeah, I feel nothing but sympathy, and I, I hope that there is some resolution and closure for the family uh, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry for all of her other friends. And I really hope that, that her life, if there is a lesson in it for all of us, let it be a lesson for the criminal justice system. Let it be a lesson. All right. Well, it seems that we're back on live. Um, that ended rather abruptly, but I think I just said goodbye to her having, having taken in that horrible story. That was Busi, um, who is a, an entrepreneur. She's also a friend of ours and someone who was a friend of Tsikofatsos. Now, we have two other guests, Dr. Rose Phillips, who I've already introduced you to, and Gedumetsi Mutlaote, and both of them are ready to take some questions, which we'd love you to contribute to. There is a chat function as part of this webinar, which you're welcome to participate in. We'd love to hear from you. And I know that there are always people at the beginning of these things who say, we can't connect, we haven't connected. Just give it a second. It usually sorts itself out, or, or you have to log back in, and then it sorts itself out that way. So, ladies, thank you both very much for your time today. I'd like to just start with you, Kedumetse. Um, What do you think it, it is about South Africa that makes this problem so deep-seated and such a such a serious social ill in our country in particular? Because we can compare ourselves to the rest of the world. We can look at global statistics. There is no doubt that we have a peculiarly South African problem, and I mm-hmm. wonder if you've spent some time thinking about what that might be.
3: Mm -hmm. Thank you, Gareth, for that. Um, I think it's important for us to understand that we do live in a very violent country right and as a result violence will manifest itself differently i think it's also important for us to factor in that gender based violence cannot be understood as a single phenomenon in society but rather is as a result of intersecting problems so i argue that you can't separate the high rates of gender based violence from the fact that we have a youth unemployment rate highest in the world that we are the, un- the most unequal society in south africa that we still don't have equitable redistribution of resources and of course we can't divorce the fact that we come from an extremely violent past unfortunately but we but are- hang
1: on you, you're not you're not saying that poor people are especially violent are you
3: No, I'm saying that we are all uh, we we are all victims potential victims of violence, right? Whether it be systematic, politically, socially environmentally, we are all at the receiving end of an extremely violent system, right? And even though it seems that it uh, seeks to, you know, benefit a certain few they themselves are also you know, uh, victims of some sort of violence, right? And so when we think about gender-based violence, it's extremely important that we broaden up our understanding, because if we are to reduce uh, gender-based violence to just sexual and physical acts of violence, we are going to miss a huge problem, right? Because when we find ourselves in, uh, we find ourselves in a position where we are so, you know, um, obsessed with the symptoms of, 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 of this pandemic and not looking at the causes, right? And so we need to understand the ways in which society is currently structured kind of provides the necessary conditions for violent acts to take place. So Bussi speaks about the fact that, and you, and you alluded to it earlier on, that is it really the responsibility of women to walk around, you know, always hovering and looking over their shoulder, right? We need to ask ourselves, a bit more critical questions to say what kind of conditions exist in our communities that allow for this kind of violence to occur, number one, but also make it very normal. Because a big problem in South Africa is the normalization of violence, right? The mm-hmm. idea that violence is used to maintain some sort of cohesion, some sort of authority and and, and, and and discipline is fundamentally problematic. And we see this kind of thinking replicated in our personal relationships, in romantic relationships, relationships within the workplace politically as well. So if we are to really think about or provide a proper diagnosis of the South African problem, I think we'd need to look at the entire pie and not just a slice of it.
1: Now, Rose, you, you've written some really interesting stuff and I'll get into, into one or two of these because I have a personal fascination with the subject matter that interests you, but I'd like to have your thoughts quickly on whether you think South Africa is moving in a direction that that we we should be and if we're moving there fast enough, considering that you look at the big picture and you look at what the future may hold for us and and what policies may lead to a more prosperous future and a more safe future for so many South African women, are we doing enough? What could we be doing? And who do you believe is responsible if we are not doing enough?
2: Sure, that's quite a loaded question. <laughs> a
1: couple of questions in
2: as it were. Well, I know you're smart.
1: To... I know you. I know you can handle it. I'd never ask you that if I didn't think you uh, were
2: capable. So, so let me let me probably just start off with um with a statement that you you introduced me as a futurist. Now, you cannot join a future society if you're not an optimist. So, oh, yes. first and foremost, let me just start off there. You have to be optimistic. The future belongs to the optimists. The pessimists cannot even think about the future. So, that's my my starting point. Um, The second point about uh, are we able to make a change? Now, I hear what Ketumets is saying in terms of we are living in a violent society as South Africans. And that's absolutely true. But I'm also going to take it one step further and say we don't just live in a violent society, which I agree with. We also live in a patriarchal society. Of course. And our patriarchal society, and I'm going to put it this way, is actually institutionalized sexism institutionalized sexism. Now why do I use the word institutionalized, Gareth? Because your question around can we change, are we changing fast enough, lies at the heart of can we deal with not just the system issues that we have, but actually the worldviews that we have, the metaphors that we have. Because if we live in a patriarchal society, by implication we say that women are less valued than men. And unless we deal with that issue of changing how boys see girls, of changing how girls see girls, then we are just really going to deal with issues of compliance. We talk about economic empowerment. We have to have so many women in the right seats. You can tell me wonderful stories about how many women are in the boardroom. And even if it is 10% or even if it is 100%, I'm still going to argue that unless they have the voice, Mm. It actually isn't going to make a difference. So mm. I do start with a statement that says I'm optimistic, and it sounds like I'm not necessarily. <laughs> but what I am saying is that we really need to change, Gareth, is our worldview. We need to change yeah. our metaphors. When mm. we see yeah. that kind of change happen, then my optimism t- changes and, and turns to realism. Yeah.
1: Okay, but but we can, we can only make cosmetic changes um, in some people's minds whereas we actually need to make the institutional changes that you're talking okay. about. And and in order to do that, we need everyone's buy-in. Now, I know that we live in a society that's largely celebrating the single mother, mostly because we don't have an option. The single mother is very very often the only person who is in a position to raise children, and mm-hmm. she does her, her damn best to make mm-hmm. that happen. So I'm not going to criticize those single women, but it has been shown time and time again that a child that comes from a household where they have both a mother and a father is at an immediate advantage over all the other kids. And we also know that the role of fathers and the role of men in society with positive masculine energy is a tremendously useful thing. And it, it must be put to its best possible uses rather than its aggressive, violent, and dangerous uses. Now, when we talk about men, and and I think it's absolutely relevant and valid in every way for us to talk about men what do you and both of you in this case, because you can both answer this with with some experience and and research on both of your sides. Um, what should men be doing? What would you like to see them doing? And what are you going to damn well expect them to do?
2: <laughs> I love that. Um, can yeah. you miss Shall I go first? Yes, please. OK, perfect. All right. So so. So last year at APSA, we uh, signed up to the United Nations Women Requirement or Manifesto, as it were, that talks Mm -hmm. about he for she. And the he for she program really was to turn the tables around and focus the issues of women and women's equality and getting to equal, because we recognize that that is not a woman's issue. It's a societal issue, right? It's a societal issue that we need to tackle. It affects all of us. And, And so we involved our men. And we, we came up with a slogan that says stop into violence, into gender-based violence, into discrimination, into inequality, which is what he or she stands for, men in solidarity with women. But here's the challenge. Stop and then what? Start yeah. to do what? What yeah. do you do differently? That really is the question. That's where the change really comes, comes from. So, yeah. so men are also in a lot of respects victims yeah to this notion of where we are. We are almost paralyzed Mm. by this notion of we accept the society that we we live in. And quite frankly, Gareth, for me, it starts at um, at childhood. Uh, And I talk about the notion of being an ancestor, and we can talk about it a little bit later on. When the boy child grows up believing that patriarchy is right, and remember, as a child, what is put to you is fact you don't You don't necessarily see it as questions. You see it as fact. The fact that uh, if you're a Christian and, and you were raised in a Christian home, you honestly believe that God created Adam and then Eve was created from the rib of heaven, at Adam. Now, when you have that kind of belief system, you already believe that you are more superior to Mm. women, more superior Mm. to girls, and it places ourselves out in all manners of how we deal with society. So I think it really starts with fathers, it starts with brothers, Mm. Um, really putting a stop to what is happening in society that patriarchy perpetuates and saying, I will not be part of this old mindset, this past future the past that we have, the way that we believed and lived as descendants, and I'm going to craft a new future, a much more equal future. Not because it is just the right thing to do, but also I understand that a diverse society is a prosperous society. That's what we need to start teaching men. And that's what fathers need to start teaching their boys. Fathers need to start showing their girls that they are as equal as any other human being. And in fact, it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or a girl, you're a human being. Mm-hmm. That's the
1: most important G- thing. Do you want to add to that?
3: Definitely. I think, um, I think, our point of departure should be that we are all victims of a patriarchal society, right? Although it seems like some are more victims than others, but men are also suffering quite tremendously under under the system, which really forces a very toxic performance of masculinity, right? And I want to allude to the you know, the concept of language and how important language is, right? Because even the ways in which we interact, the ways in which our interpersonal and intrapersonal relationships are built is quite problematic. And it is on the basis of quite toxic relations, you know? The reality is that nobody is born a rapist. Nobody's born a murderer, right? Society makes people like that. And I argue this, that if we really are to to unpack, and I know, Doctor, you spoke about the need for us to be optimists, and and I am being optimistic in my analysis, but I am also pointing out to the fact that our communities have become military training grounds for toxic men, right? The idea that boys are not allowed to feel... I mean, just to even start, the fact that there's a distinction between how boy, the boy child and the girl child is raised, you know, is a replication of a very unequal um, patriarchy. Yeah, but it, but,
1: but, it, but it is also, I mean, it's, it's also unfair to put all of this at the foot of society, which means no one actually has to take blame individual agency and individual choices surely makes a huge difference here too. There are lots of men who go about their business every day doing all the right things and empowering women and not behaving like monsters. And there are men who choose to behave like monsters. And surely on some individual level, we also need to figure out who the good guys and the bad guys are, because they are quite distinct.
3: Of course. Listen, don't get me wrong. I do appreciate and I do think it's important that we strengthen individual agency. Right. But I also want to allude to how the structure influences agency. The moment we separate those two, we have an incomplete argument. Right. And I think it's important that we elevate the conversation just a tad bit to say that. And us calling out structures and institutionalization of toxic masculinity, we are also able to address the, the, you know, institutions of socialization. I mean, the family is a primary institution of socialization. And the ways in which the family is constructed in South Africa is on the basis of violence. I mean, the fact that we have such a high number of children. No, well,
1: dysfunctional, dysfunctional families, certainly. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) families that aren't dysfunctional, you can't very well ascribe all those evils to because otherwise those people would come out better.
3: Of course, but I'm also trying to say that it's not only the responsibility of the family that the the individual also engages, you know, the schooling system, society at large, which are all forms of socialization and the language in which and the language that is perpetuated in our socialization institutions really affirms and rewards toxic and violent behavior. And this is what I want to make quite clear, that the reason why we have such a pervasive culture of violence, that to some extent it is Rewarded, right? We look at the representation of men on media, right? We still know that the but, that's not, reward, are, but that's not as
1: a reward. But that's not as a reward of being violent the, to women. But sure,
3: the but the fact that it's a dominant narrative positions itself already like that, and but so we're we exactly, very language. it's important that we think about whose voice takes center stage, right? Yeah, whose but, but I'm
1: not sure. I'm not sure what you're saying is true. I'm sorry I, I don't know that that's true that the, the this kind of thing is universally acknowledged as wicked and evil and and, and uh, completely distasteful to all of us. I don't see how you're saying it's being rewarded. People like this, I mean we take Duduzi Manana um for assaulting those three women. I mean he was he had to plead guilty, he was fined. Uh he w- he was not uh, taken even even into the ANC which we know has its its problems when it comes to patriarchal behavior. Um, he wasn't taken back into his deputy ministry. Um, I'm, I haven't seen examples recently in society, and I think this is largely as a result of the good work of women, that men are no longer allowed to lord it over everybody after they've behaved badly. In fact, I think there are substantial costs. If you look at Harvey Weinstein, if you look at a number of people in American and local media who've come to a crashing fall because of their toxic behavior. I don't think it's fair to say that's rewarded anymore. Things are changing and they're changing pretty fast.
3: Mm, I totally agree please don't get me wrong I totally agree and my understanding or rather what's informing you know my position in terms of rewarding behavior right is the fact that I'm not looking at a very micro level in terms of everyday interaction right and how toxic masculinity is somewhat appreciated right And 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 we can have this debate right when we speak to men within men forums and many men will say that I do this because it is socially accepted so there hasn't been any serious consequence till now. And this is where I think we should really give full credit to the women's movement for the ability to really hold men accountable on a public uh, on a public level, right? So we are seeing a change and a shift mm. from a private matter of gender-based violence, right, and has and has now become a national matter and been put under the national agenda. But even in that, right, I'm also able to understand that we are still struggling to get the kind of language and thinking permeated right to the bottom and ground level, as people like to say. Our human interactions are still very violent, Gareth. And if we continue to dismiss that in the hope of optimism right optimism also requires us that we are critical right that we are able to identify things that really need a lot of attention right but not taking away from the gains and the and the advancements that we've seen over the years so do understand that when I do speak about the rewards, the rewarding of a patriarchal or a toxic system, right? That I'm not necessarily only locating it into mass-based media, right? And how you've you 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 really listed quite. Well, prominent- right, it
1: did sound it did sound that way. So 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 maybe no no just maybe it, it sounded like that to me.
3: I do understand I, I'd that like to
1: that just go really to really some of these questions um, because we've we've got a ton of questions here from people. Roxanne says it starts with boys and young men. And then, and then there are a lot of questions that I think we've maybe covered in the last answer. But I thought this was interesting from Molefi. Molefi says, "What is the role of the artists, i.e., the novelists, television, Mm. musicians, etc., and what they can do to change the landscape regarding gender-based violence?" Rose, you, beautiful
2: question.
1: Yeah, you look at the (laughs) at the big picture again. So perhaps this is one for you to field.
2: Yeah, um, and so thank you so much for, for that introduction through that question. So I, I spoke a little bit about Adam's rib um, and, and how women are, are, are Adam's rib, or Eve started as, as Adam's rib, and, and language of women are the weaker sex. That's a yeah. language that we use. Now I'll tell you a story of a um, group of people. This is before, before social distancing, when we could all still meet. There was a party held, and um, you could come and dress in any way you like that reflects the role you want to play in society, how you want to create a new future. And then right. that piece of work was then used to understand how the company sets up its purpose. So the evening arrives and all manners of superheroes arrive. And all the men, I think they love types, all the men came as either Superman or as Spider-Man. The women didn't know how to dress. They didn't have an identity. The women came dressed as Cinderella. The women came dressed as Snow White. That was the image that the women came dressed as. And why I raise that point, as per the question around what do artists do, what do storytellers do, what do what do writers do? It is said that life that art imitates life. And then life imitates art. And I think that the creative part of our communities have a massive role to play to change the narrative, to change the narrative. Maybe Cinderella actually has a shoe brand. Maybe Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Snow White is the tallest of all of them. The dwarfs are small. Maybe Snow White, because she's tall, becomes a basketball player. Those are the stories we need to tell our little girls around the art of the possible, and the current narrative is still a narrative of difference it's still a narrative of you can't do it's still a narrative of damsel in distress waiting for the knight in shining armor i'm not can can I, that can that can I challenge possible. that for a second
1: i mean sure. we we're, we're we're almost acclimatizing women to the men's world as opposed to. Allowing women to determine what that world will look like themselves. I mean, a, super, a superhero world is a world created by men because men like power and special powers and being able to fly and being strong and all of these things. Maybe that's not what women want. Maybe women don't want to compete with men on men's scale. They want to have their own scale.
2: No, absolutely, and I'm not even necessarily determining what that story is that women's story is or even what an individual story is for Gareth or an individual story for Kate I really believe in the power of multiple stories, and that's mm-hmm. why I really like what artists and and mm-hmm. writers and musicians can do. they test our existing narrative they ask of us to think differently they ask of us to put the past behind us and to start afresh and those new narratives of what it means to be a human what it means to be a mother what it means to be a woman what it means to be a man those narratives and they are under i'm under no illusion Those narratives are starting to be shown. You see it in Hollywood and Bollywood and Nollywood. You see it everywhere. The woman that is a strong, courageous, vulnerable woman and vulnerability is expected Mm -hmm. or is accepted. The same with men. The story of who a man is. That is also being changed and is also being challenged. So absolutely, artists have a, a role to play.
1: You Definitely. wanted to add something to that. I think I, I saw you pulling a face at one or two moments in there see <laughs> you, you wanted to jump in. So go for it.
3: Um, I mean, I just, I, I want to go back to my point on representation, right? And maybe the role the media plays. So I just want to touch on, um, the National Strategic Plan and some of the interventions brought forth by the women's movement, you know, is to call for a transformation in the media space, right, and how we represent uh, the interaction and relationship between men and women, but also expanding, you know, the definition behind gender, right, because I've, I've noticed and I've picked up in, in our conversation, our language is quite binary in nature, right, so we are excluding marginalized groups, which also really need to be represented because they are also victims of sexual and gender and uh, gendered violence. So, of course, the media does definitely play an important role. I mean, currently we see the Sue Us All campaign, you know, which has really sparked a lot of conversation on Twitter, holding the entertainment industry accountable for a lot of the behind the scenes violence that is uh, targeted at women. So, you know, it's, it's all good enough to have transformation on the screen, but also behind the screens and production is equally important.
2: I do I, want to say, though, that um, I, I know we talk about the the real, the, the visible, right? What you see above the surface of the water, the top of the iceberg, the mm-hmm. violence that you see where people are losing their lives, where a twenty-eight-year-old woman and her eight-month-old um fetus loses their lives. That's the top of that's the tip of the iceberg. I'm in a corporate environment. And in a corporate environment, I think that, and, and this is my my perspective, gender-based violence is not only physical violence. Gender-based violence, we have to yeah. understand, is also discrimination. It's also coercion and it's also the the removal of freedoms or the denial of freedoms. And so when we sit here, we shouldn't be talking about gender-based violence in isolation as a scourge Mm -hmm. of society and not also deal with, in our workplaces, emancipating women, allowing, and as you say, gender fluidity, Uh, across our entire societies is something that we need to deal with as well. In a corporate environment, you asked Gareth earlier on what do we do in governments, what do we do in corporates? I don't want us to ever believe that because we live in these professional corporate environments, we are not also subject to gender-based violence. We are in the way that we set up our structures, in the way that we sometimes exclude our women, in the way that we maybe deal with issues of empowerment as a woman's issue and not something across the organization.
1: And I'm glad you brought that up, Rose, because I think that may be an interest of many people who are are joining this webinar now, um, that we've got to be careful to not conflate uh, the lack of opportunities, the glass ceiling, economic disparities with actual violence. There is a huge difference. And violence, of course, has a a much more serious re- repercussion for the victim and obviously for the perpetrator if justice is done in that case. But I think you've raised something that's very interesting. It came up in a question which isn't actually on the chat but came to me on Instagram. Um Someone called Candy Floss says, Good morning, I see you're discussing gender-based violence on your show that's this webinar, please address financial abuse, which Mm. is more painful, less visible at a glance, and maybe as destructive as physical violence that can develop into death eventually. Physical death, financial abuse is emotional, character murder, it's just as brutal and cruel. And I can't help thinking... That whoever this person is, and I hope you're okay, you're going through precisely that at the moment, which is why you asked this question.
2: And you know, COVID-19 has made it even even more stark, that exacerbation of the financial, the physical, the mental and the social disparities Mm. and challenges that women feel. So it's a very, very important question. Um, and comment that's made uh, by Candy Floss, as as you say. And yeah, um, and you know, I I work at a bank, right? And, and part of the job of a bank is really to help with financial inclusion. And mm. we know that um, I, I always say political freedom is not the same as economic freedom. Awesome. You can't actually have freedom if you don't have both political freedom and economic freedom. And economic freedom does require a measure of financial inclusion. And that Mm. is one of the things that we as society do need to work on as well. Yes, we need to change Mm. our mindsets, but we also need to provide the opportunities. Mm.
3: I just want to I just want to add on to that, right, especially around financial uh, violence, you know, which is one of the I mean, financial, psychological, emotional violence is probably one of the most underrated uh, forms and often neglected forms of violence. But I just want to bring to your attention. Um, you know, my profession as a social worker informs a lot of my thinking, and I'm just looking at the consequences of COVID-19. I mean, we've looked at about 2 million jobs have been lost since the start of the national lockdown. Out of that 2 million, two thirds of them are women, right? Which automatically places women in positions of vulnerability. But what I find quite interesting is how the state has responded to that, right? The fact that when we look at our social grant systems and the social relief packages, you know, uh, that were prepared specifically around covid-19 two-thirds of those relief packages have gone to men so even in the distribution of resources it's
1: so paltry anyway it's insulting to everybody that we should even hand (laughs) out i mean how are families expected to live on 350 rand a month and the governments are proud of themselves for giving away this money that they don't even have
3: Okay. Of course, but this also speaks to how we've institutionalized gender inequality and how even financial violence right, has become part and parcel of our institutions, right? And so when we look at a lot of the violence that women are subjected to, right, if you actually had to trace down the origins of the violence, it doesn't just start off with physical violence. In fact, it's a manifestation of either a financial uh, or even psychological and emotional violence. So all these forms of violence to, to a large extent are intertwined and interlinked. So it's important that in our understanding, in our analysis, and even in the interventions that we provide, that we look at violence in its entirety and its different manifestations.
2: Now, yeah, you know, I, financial, I like to... financial issues are related to prisons that women are in. Many of our women that are abused um, and end up losing their lives knew that they needed to exit that relationship, but couldn't because they became financially reliant on that relationship. So, yeah.
1: I just want to refer to something quickly, uh, Ketumetse, and I'm worried about this because it comes out of our universities and it comes from the humanities departments in our universities. This word violence is bandied about a lot. And I'm just concerned that if we describe everything as violence, then violence becomes very normal and it becomes a small thing, you know, financial violence as opposed to financial manipulation, for example. Violence is obviously a very small category that carries with it a specific set of legal ramifications and i'm concerned that because of the universities and the language that academics use and the way they've expanded these concepts to be intellectual concepts rather than real world problems for people they've actually diluted the meaning of these words and it does it does just as a cautionary make me think that perhaps that is allowing more men to get away with more of this stuff because ah, violence is everything now you know, words of violence, mm-hmm. psychological violence, financial violence. Suddenly, violence itself is just an everyday thing, mm-hmm. and I'm concerned about that. I do mm-hmm. see there are a lot of questions coming in about what men can do, and I think this is really important. We've got an August 20th show, which is going to be like this with some other guests who I'm sure you'll find as fascinating as our guests today. So I'd just like to say for all those people who are asking what can men do, We'll be talking about a new generation of men. And Reggie's question here refers. He says, I've observed that a few of the questions and observations, relevant as they may be, are externally oriented. Are there tools or interventions from the panelists that they could recommend for the average man to use to reflect and identify how our male privilege or our manifests uh, of, of our behavior are experienced by the women in our lives? I mean, don't don't we also have to face up let's just go into some harsh realities here first of all men have relationships with a lot of women in south africa then there are very few men who are actually in a nuclear family where they are dedicated to the person they've promised to be dedicated to they're not particularly um, involved as fathers in many of these families Um, they are Spending all the money they bring home without giving it to the the family or spending it on the family. They're expecting the wives to do all the heavy lifting when it comes to the children. These are things that are uncomfortable and we have to face up to in South Africa. They're South African problems, right? Yeah.
2: I come from a father and a mother, right? We all do um we do and um, we
1: haven't quite got pathogenesis right yet yeah exactly no
2: no we haven't quite did that part but but the fourth industrial revolution will sort that out for us um and i'm here today with having had the opportunities because my father believed in my education did not discriminate because i am a woman and I think, so that's the first thing. I, that's the first thing that men can do is really just support, provide yeah. the support, be the shoulders, be the, the shoulders of the giants on which women can stand. That's the first thing. The yeah. second thing is, and this is, a, this is a massive change and a big ask. This world is not a world where you need to show your testosterone any longer. You might have needed to do that in the savannah when you were fighting lions. But that was multiple, multiple eons ago when we were all living in caves. No,
1: but can I can I be extremely patronizing and say that's exactly what a woman would say? The the importance of competition to us men must be underestimated. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you would, you
2: would, I mean, you would without
1: without said. without me having to compete with another man, I'm not going to do as well as I could. Whether I'm competing for a woman or for money or for power or for prestige, all of those things those are the engines of our economy. Those are the things that have brought about the greatest developments in human history. We cannot deny that. that that's an important part of, and that testosterone is a valuable addition to the human collaboration.
2: Can it, can it really can it be the only thing that, that um, advances
1: society? No, 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 C- certainly uh, not the only thing, but it's a massively <laughs> important part of it. You can't deny that it. That very
2: same testosterone has given <laughs> us two world wars. That very same testosterone. has Many
1: more, many more world wars, trust I, me. I think that,
2: and you, yeah, those, <laughs> buttons, those red buttons and those red telephones. But on a serious note, though, um, what has happened with COVID-19 specifically, and I'm, I'm thinking about my, my own company, we've we've been in lockdown and lockdown meant that we can't leave our homes. We cannot go outside. So we've needed yes. to go inside. And when we went inside, we realized that we needed to spend a bit more time reflecting on who we are mm-hmm. as a and I think that that, and this is a question for men, although this is not only applicable to men, but the, but the person asked the question. Really spend a little bit of time thinking about now that you are in your family and you are with your spouse and your children and everybody needs to contribute. Why is your spouse, the female member of the family, doing all the homeschooling? Why is she still doing all the shopping? Why mm. is she still um, doing all the cooking? You are all at home. And so it's an opportunity because we now have to go inside to really have those mindfulness moments and ask ourselves the question, maybe it's not just intelligence that matters any longer. Maybe emotional intelligence is as important a characteristic to have. And whether that emotional intelligence allows you to say I'm sorry, to apologize, to say you are wrong, to be vulnerable, I actually think we will have a much more progressive society. I just think
3: in addition to that, um, so we, we run a WhatsApp helpline that provides free and free and accessible psychosocial support services. I really want to urge men to seek help. Right. We need to really destigmatize the idea of going to see a supposed shrink or to speak, because the way in society and the way society is organized is that it normalizes men not speaking. It normalizes the suppression of emotions, of experiences. Right. And this, to a large extent, dehumanizes men. Right. Because it makes them they're no longer sensitive, right? And they're no longer emotionally aware of their environment, their actions and their thoughts. So I think that really the big step is that men need healing too. As much as women need healing because of, you know, the large forms of, and you know, forms and different variations of violence we've been exposed to, I really do think that it's important that men also start normalizing, seeking right. help, right?
1: I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I think that's, a, that's tremendously useful and very important. And, of course, what we'll do is, if you don't mind, if you can share with us some numbers and contact details, we'll put that up. So any men who are on this webinar or want to pass it on to friends and family of theirs, you know, guys also have this thing where they're too strong and they, they don't yeah. want to show any weakness and that vulnerability, Rose, that you were talking about earlier. And we've got to stop that. That is that is not good. Forget about the effects that it have, has on women. It makes the men weaker and it makes them less capable of being the men that women need. Um, I, I just want to refer to one other thing. It seems to me there are a lot of questions in South Africa that we think government is the answer to. And so many of the problems we're talking about gender-based violence-wise are actually not government's fault or responsibility. Mm. They don't originate in government, although government obviously has an effect on so much in society. But a lot of this stuff starts with the individual and then the family and branches out from there. A lot of people don't have their own house in order. I'm, I'm talking about men especially here. And to blame that on government seems to me to be trying to externalize and to shift that blame into a place where it doesn't exist. Government may be doing the best they can to police society where violence breaks out. They may be trying their best to make social workers available, even though I think they're not trying their best. (laughs) But essentially, these are not problems that originate from the authority of the state. These are social ills that come about in spite of the fact that we have a government, we have a sense of community, Ubuntu we always talk about in this country as if we've got it right, which we haven't. Um, these are things that we need to be very serious about, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, from my side, I mean, there's an African proverb that says if you want to move mountains, first start today by moving stones. Um, and that's really all of us have to do something. I want to go to the to the point I've made um, earlier around being ancestors and and an ancestor is not just I mean, the traditional definition of an ancestor is those that have gone before our forefathers but you yourself, you are an ancestor you spend time maybe thinking about your younger self what would your younger self say about who Gareth is or who Ketumetsu is today? But mm-hmm. what will the Gareth of 2030 say about who Gareth is today? What will the Ketumetsu of, yeah, in, in 10 years' time say about what, she, what actions she has taken today? Or even Rose or anyone else that's listening in um, to this discussion. So it really does require each of us to think about our role in society differently. They say the Holocaust victims, they have have always said, silence only supports the perpetrators or the tormentors. Silence does not support victims um, and silence is not the answer. Passivity is not the answer. So, I don't know what every single one of us will do differently necessarily, but I, I encourage every single person to think about. In ten years' time, if you are still here, or even if you are not here, is this patriarchal society the society that you want to leave future generations? I would argue not. Definitely. Yeah. I don't
1: Definitely. know who would argue I don't know who would argue that is what we want. Um, mm-hmm. Just one quick one quick thing which which Liesl from Absus reminded me of. There's this thing going on at the moment that alcohol and cigarettes are either good for us or bad for us. From a health point of view, I think the evidence is in, but now our civil liberties have been taken away by a decision from the patriarchal government who decides whether we can or can't do something. Are we too quick to blame things like alcohol for problems that existed before alcohol and will exist even if alcohol is removed?
3: Mm. Wow, that's an interesting question. I think, um. You know, and and it's a very bad culture we have, right? Of of always saying, "But I was drunk, I was under something, I was under some sort of influence." I think what that does is that it shifts the goalposts of of accountability, right? So we are no longer able to hold the individual and their individual actions accountable, but are very quick to you know to kind of this um you know to put the blame on on substances. I do think that this is quite an interesting debate as to uh should should we lift the, uh the banning of these substances uh, or not. But I do think in a democratic country like South Africa, freedom of expression, the right to be able to choose decisions for yourself and well-being is important, right? Mm. And so we should rather, the conversation should be elevated yet again to Not necessarily policing what people intake, right? But really educating people, number one, as to the consequences of the intakes, but also finding healthier ways of coping with stress. Because a big issue we find in South Africa, I mean, South Africa is amongst one of the uh, highest uh, consumers of alcohol globally, right? And this, I mean, we're the second most stressed country globally, right? So the idea that we use substances to deal with stresses in our society, within ourselves, And households is very problematic. So we do need to look for healthier ways of dealing with stress, right? But does it mean that removing these substances is going to help? I don't necessarily think so because the reality of the matter is we are going to look for different. uh, People will start
1: using Nia'upe, which we know is already a major problem in the townships. And if they can't find that, they'll start doing all kinds of other illicit things. But I think, ladies, we've we've gone some way. I want to thank you both for your incredible contributions today and for the contributions you make outside of this webinar, which are much more long lasting. I know that we've had many people here um, who have asked for us to continue this discussion. Uh, so many important points. Someone says, how can we share this with those who are not in the webinar? Well, uh, everyone who has registered to this webinar will receive a link via email to replay the discussion. And I think plenty more will follow. We are doing another show on the 20th of August, which I invite you all to and please join us for all the others in this series that we're doing with ABSA. I, I'm so pleased that I got to spend a little bit of time talking to such uh, incredible and, and varied and, and talented people who've done so much already. Dr. Rose Phillips, thank you so much. What a pleasure to see you. And I hope that we'll connect again soon. Thank you for your contribution today.
3: Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much.
1: And ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for being a part of this. It really isn't, uh, there's no point in doing these things if we don't have anyone attending. I know that the people who attend things like this are the ones who really care. We can go out and we can start telling our friends, our family, the people we respect and care about, and the people who we think need the help, that there is a conversation going on they need to be a part of. And not being complicit by allowing people to talk about violence in a laissez-faire way, by not encouraging behavior which is toxic, which leads to harm uh, in in communities whether it's women or children let's do what we can everybody here has a role to play and i thank you all for being a part of this during a month where we should be celebrating but too often those celebrations look like meaningless lip service i think today we've done the service that we should to the subjects that are as serious to us as these are. Thank you all very, very much for joining us. I'm Gareth Cliff. It's been an absolute pleasure. This has been brought to you by ABSA and Cliff Central, and there will be more. Just keep an eye on your emails, and please pass this around to everyone who you think would benefit from it. Thank you. Cliffcentral.com.